0: If you know your patient, if you really know your patient, you're really gonna help your patient. That just resonates with me. I try to, as much as possible, to sit down and just know something personal about my patients. Every single person who comes through my clinic or or the hospital.
1: Welcome back to Healthwave, I'm Mitchell Nail, and at Healthwave we believe your health matters because you matter and we hope you're healthy and well today. Today's program is brought to you by St. Bernard's Healthcare, a trusted provider of comprehensive, compassionate healthcare services that reaches 23 counties in northeast Arkansas and southeast Missouri. St. Bernard's flagship facility, St. Bernard's Medical Center, located in the heart of Jonesboro, Arkansas for more than 120 years, houses the only level three trauma center and neonatal intensive care unit in the region for every stage of life. St. Bernard stands ready to serve you through education, treatment, and health services. Continuing our heart series, Dr. Ahmed Ahmed with the American Heart Association's award-winning St. Bernard's Heart and Vascular in Jonesboro joins me today. St. Bernard's Heart and Vascular includes a team of vascular surgeons and cardiologists offering all aspects of cardiac care across 12 locations. Well, this care includes both non-invasive as well as invasive cardiology services. Well, Dr. Ahmed is an interventional cardiologist, meaning he special. Specializes in invasive but non surgical heart procedures. These are often catheter based techniques where long flexible tubes are inserted into the body to diagnose and treat heart and vascular diseases. Dr. Ahmed, you're a native of Sudan, right? That's correct. That's correct, And and where did you uh, earn your uh, medical degree? Where have you studied? Well, I um,
0: went to medical school in the University of Khartoum. Uh, It's the most renowned medical school in Sudan. Very cool. Khartoum is the capital. After that, I moved to the United States around 2004, 2005, and I joined Pennsylvania State University for my residency and general cardiology fellowship. And then I moved even more north to the University of Connecticut to um, receive specialized training in interventional cardiology And then afterwards, I uh, moved for my first job about five years ago at the St. Bernard's Heart and Bascular. And uh, five years later, here I am loving it, loving the town and the the hospital and the team.
1: Go Nittany Lions, go Huskies, and now you're in a college town. Go Red Wolves, all the way. (laughs) I love it. Dr. Ahmed, welcome to Health Wave. Thank you. Jumping right into the questions, Dr. Ahmed, just looking at what you do, invasive but non-surgical, as we mentioned, and when that's both specific and technically demanding, would you describe to me interventional cardiology in your own words, progress over the last several years? Well, interventional cardiology is a branch or subspecialty
0: of cardiology. So a cardiologist is is a physician who handles all problems with the heart. And if we just break it down to simple terms... The heart kind of works in, in three different levels. There's electrical and there's mechanical and then there is vessels or blood supply. So interventional cardiologists is a physician that takes care of mostly blockages in the heart vessels. So, people who have plaque buildup over several years for some risk factors like hypertension and diabetes, they will build some plaque and that will hinder the blood flow to the heart because of these blockages. So, really, the bread and butter of interventional cardiology is to open and redo and uh, undo these blockages using mm. balloons and stents. But it doesn't really stop there. Right. So if you think about it, it's, the same concept can be applied to vessels in other areas of the body. So we can also balloon and stent arteries in the neck, carotid artery stenosis, in the arms, like subclavian stenosis, in the lower extremities, patients with blockages in their legs who can't walk or have some wounds or ulcers. That can be applied to the kidney arteries as well, people with renal artery stenosis and uh, difficult to control uh, blood pressure doesn't stop there because there are some other branches that kind of branched out from this using the same concept. For example, blood clots, deviant thrombosis in the legs, in the arms. These can be cleaned out and and ballooned and stented with uh, specialized equipment. And there's now structural heart disease. So now we move from just the vessels to fixing structural problems. For example, TAVR procedure that revolutionized the care for uh, patients with aortic uh, valve stenosis. Mm-hmm. There's a mitral clip, which is a procedure where we can fix leaky valves without having to have open heart surgery. There's heart pumps. We can use heart pumps in patients who come with big heart attacks, with cardiogenic shocks, that we can temporarily help the heart to recover from these big heart attacks and these have saved lives and led to tremendous success with doing very complex and complicated procedures. There is lots of other things. We have monitors that we can implant inside of the artery that connects the heart to the lung, which mm-hmm. we call the pulmonary artery. And these are very helpful in patients with weak heart muscles or people who have heart failure because we can detect problems and worsening of their condition weeks before they even feel a shortness of breath or feel they're getting worse and we can adjust their medications accordingly before anything else. So it's the field that is just progressing on a daily basis. Warp speed technological marvels that happening every day.
1: Well, how do you identify where some of these problems are, especially if the symptoms may be similar? You know, somebody may say I have shortness of breath. That could be a symptom of of a heart attack uh, as well. What would your immediate attack mode be? If somebody
0: comes with an acute onset of shortness of breath or chest pain, so these are the two most common symptoms for a heart attack, shortness of breath or chest pain, although they can present with some other atypical features, but these are our two major things. So chest pain, where it is, how it started, what kind of risk factors they have, it just draws our attention to the patients, and we kind of do a, a quick funneling down of, of what could or could not be a, a cardiac problem. And then the next step will be to take a very good and careful history and do a physical exam because there's some signs or some trigger words that the patient will describe that will make us think this is a cardiac or non-cardiac problem. Then we have our oldest tool in the toolbox, which is the electrocardiogram, the EKG. Mm-hmm. So the EKG is can tell us a lot about the patient and what's going on, if they have an acute problem or did they have a problem before, but it happened several weeks or months earlier. It will tell us if this is something that needs to go to the cardiac cat lab right now, or it's something that we need to kind of check on a few other things before. Next, maybe we will get an ultrasound of the heart. Ultrasound of the heart will show us the valves, the function, if any wall of the heart is not working as much as as the other walls, which can sometimes reflect a blockage that is affecting some part of the heart. So we have tools. We have tools that some of them are very simple. Some of them are very technologically advanced, like stress testing. And then the next step, which is the ultimate test to diagnose and treat coronary disease, which is the heart catheterization, which is taking a small tube to the heart and inject some contrast medium and look into the screens, which we see like an x-ray video really. And it shows us the coronary artery is like a big tree with branches and we just see if any of the branches are cut off or narrowed or stenosed. The important thing that everybody needs to understand is they can't diagnose it at home. Mm -hmm. So one of the big campaigns that we did in the past is dial and don't drive. So if somebody has symptoms that are new, that are acute, they're feeling very sick, they need to call 911 because this is the quickest way to get them picked up, brought to the hospital, get an EKG, get them diagnosed and get them treated. Driving in these kind of conditions might, one, endanger the patient's life because you don't know what's going on, what's going to happen next. Two, it might endanger other people on the roads.
1: So dial and don't drive. And you're also kind of talking about some of these catheter-based treatments. These are really remarkable multi-use devices. Correct. that. So the
0: catheters we're talking about are, are very thin tubes. So these very thin tubes, they're manufactured and they're built in a specific way where they, they can be attached to the coronary arteries. And these catheters, we, we gain access to the heart from any artery, actually any artery, just goes back to the heart. That's that's kind of how things are. Classically, it used to be the artery in the groin or the femoral artery. Around the world, it's still the, the most used kind of access. But for years, we've been using the radial artery, which is the artery right in the in at the wrist. Mm-hmm. Um, these two arteries are, are used for 99 of the of the procedures. And then once you get access to your artery, that we can track back over a wire to the heart, and then once we get to the heart, we find and localize the coronary arteries, which are the arteries that supply the heart muscle itself with blood. Once we get in there, then injecting the contrast material will show us and visualize the coronary arteries to see if they're normal or if there's any blockage or if something is missing. In the cases of acute heart attack, sometimes the artery is completely missing, it's 100% blocked. So everything supplied by that artery does not have oxygen or nutrients to keep working. That drives one of the biggest challenges in in cardiology, which is in these cases, you have a clock that's sticking. We say time is muscle. Right. So every minute that goes by without that artery open, that means that some of the heart muscle is not going to recover, and that will lead to heart failure. So we figure out the problem, and then we use wires, balloons, and stents to open up the, the blockage. The balloon basically is to open a track in a plaque, And then the stent is a metal scaffold. Think about it as a spring inside of your pen. And basically we use it to make sure that after we balloon the vessel open, it's not going to recoil and close again or form another clot and close again. So stents and
1: balloons, that's how we fix all the plumbing. Well, Dr. Ahmed, interventional cardiology is regarded even among your peers as a competitive field in medicine. While training, for example, hundreds of qualified applicants compete over perhaps one or two positions in an average program. Knowing the odds, why did you choose such an exclusive subspecialty? Were you just a glutton for punishment or uh, <laughs> or or, or are you just uh, were you shooting for the moon? I have a little funny story for why I went for cardiology to start with. So,
0: first day of medical school, way back in the day. Uh, first day, first lecture ever. Um, this professor walks into the, the room and the first sentence that came out of his mouth is, the heart has nothing to do with love. It's just an efficient and highly coordinated pump. And that just, for some reason, that, that just attracted my attention. That, that kind of challenged me. And I just never forgot this sentence. And I and from that day, I made it my job to kind of look and research the heart more and more. And over the years of medical school, I just I just kind of realized that this is what I want to do. And then... Afterwards and after residency and in my fellowship, the same thing kind of happened again. The first two months in my fellowship I was in the, the cat lab. These two months were the scariest most confusing and most rewarding two months in my fellowship <laughs> because It's demanding mm-hmm. it challenges you every single day It's physically and mentally and psychologically very demanding and needs a lot of strength as one of my professors back in Penn State used to say you make more life-or-death decisions in one morning than maybe other people will do for their entire life. Wow. So, to be able to make these kind of decisions, you have to have a lot of knowledge and a lot of mental strength to be able to be calm and collected in cases where things are not going
1: very well. Because you could have a patient where the outcome is just devastating and then immediately have to switch gears and make sure that you're completely in control for the next patient. That is very true, that is very true. And, and also, within the same procedure, Plan
0: A, B, C, and D might not work. And you have to be ready to switch gears to plan E and and F and and whatever. Whatever it takes, you have to get the job done. And sometimes these are done in the middle of the night. You just wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you have to be ready to go and ready to do what you need to do. So the challenges are real. But the three words are challenging, rewarding, and always advancing. So the rewarding part is there's no better feeling than 2 o'clock in the morning. Is when coffee you have, your friend? Oh, my best friend. <laughs> my best friend. <laughs> you can't you can't survive without it. <laughs> but uh two o'clock in the morning where you come, somebody's really sick. Mm-hmm. Family's really worried. And you look at the patient and you say, I will take care of you. I have a team with me. I always have an amazing team. We work together. We will take care of you. And then two hours, three hours later, I talk to the same family and the same patient. He's feeling better, the patient's feeling better, family is relieved. You just see them, you keep seeing them in the office time after time, and they're just feeling good. You see the kids growing, and you just realize that you've changed somebody's life. And then never stops advancing. There's something new every day. I mean, it's very challenging. You you challenge yourself, you, you get out of your comfort zone. You wanna do new things. You, you want to make your devices better and safer and, and, and more
1: beneficial to your patients. Right. And and that's that's kind of that just made it very clear to me that this is what I wanna do. Well I'm speaking with Doctor Ahmed Ahmed, interventional cardiologist with Saint Bernard's Heart and Vascular in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Doctor Ahmed You and your colleagues at the St. Bernard System have all invested heavily to make heart care services readily available to a predominantly rural area. That's kind of a sharp contrast from where you practiced in the Northeast. What challenges do you encounter working among this demographic, and and what is it about your team that makes you the go-to provider? Let me just mention some numbers first,
0: and it will kind of give us a perspective. Arkansas is ranked number five when it comes to the prevalence of diabetes. About 15% of the citizens of of Arkansas have diabetes. It's number four in the prevalence of hypertension, high blood pressure, almost 50%. Hmm. These are the two biggest risk factors together with smoking. So the prevalence of smoking is also very high. And that led to Arkansas being one of the top-ranked states in the United States when it comes to hospitalization, and death from heart attack, unfortunately. So that, that just tells us that hard to disease is a real big problem. And that problem needs to be tackled in kind of a spectrum, a timeline, if you would. And that timeline needs to start way before, before mm-hmm. there's a problem. So we need to start working on prevention. Prevention and controlling diabetes, controlling blood pressure, cholesterol, trying to, to quit smoking, exercise, weight management, stuff like that. And then... The second stop in that timeline is when the problem happens. So patients who come with heart attacks, they come with heart failure, they come with vascular disease, they, have, they can't walk because they have pain in their legs, et cetera, et cetera. And then the third stop is what comes after. How are we going to prevent them from having more complications, more issues, more problems in the future? And to do that, you have to have a team, a solid team that has all the components necessary to do this. And we have been privileged in St. Bernard's Heisman Vascular with solid, amazing physicians, nurse practitioners, nurses, radiological technologists, you name it. It's a big team that can do all these things. So prevention. We have a prevention, big prevention clinic. We have teams for heart attacks. Mm-hmm. So our STEMI, we call it STEMI, ST Elevation Myocardial infarction, rewarded every year, rewarded with the highest awards in the nation for heart attack care. Team that can care for patients with blockages in their legs, their arms, their kidneys. So peripheral vascular. Teams that can work with blood clots. So blood clots in the leg, cleaning these blood clots, clearing them, and putting stents and balloons and and make sure that people don't end up with swelling and pain for the rest of their lives. And also, you need great surgeons. So we have the vascular surgery department. We have amazing vascular surgery and heart surgery department. And the amazing thing is, these are not different entities. These are not different entities trying to talk to each other or trying to kind of communicate uh, with each other in some way, form or shape to help the patients. This is a single entity. Mm-hmm. We all reside in the same home. For example, I have great electrophysiology colleagues. On my clinic day is on Thursday, I'm seeing a patient for a plumbing problem, if you would. They had a stent or they need a stent. But then I realize they have some electrical problem. I will leave that room. I'll go around the corner. I'll grab my electrophysiology friend from their clinic, and I'll tell him what's going on, bring them with me, and I will see the patient right away that day in my room. That same thing for surgery, for example. If I need my cardiac surgeon or my vascular surgeon, I can bring them, make them see the patient, get a plan going. This, in other places, is a two to three months time for trying to coordinate all these things. Hmm. I'm trying to get you an appointment with this, and an appointment with that, and then this is, first of all, a lot of time lost. Second of all, We can't have our patients bouncing from one place to another waiting for something important and urgent to happen. Right, right. And that's the strength. That's, this is, this is the the amazing strength here at St. Bernard's Heart and Vascular is, is the care is just seamless. Everything happens fast, quick, very personal. We care and we want to make sure that we bring the best we have to our patients.
1: Now, I'm glad you mentioned that. I hadn't really thought about the fact that you've got a lot of patients coming in, multiple heart-related issues. Correct. One of them may have caused the other, I'm guessing. That's just an interesting thought that somebody's coming in and getting multiple parts of their heart fixed in one stop. Right. Correct.
0: And also, we're firm believers that our patients sometimes cannot come to us. It's sometimes hard for people to come from other places to Jonesboro for different reasons. So we're firm believers in, in going to our patients, in reaching for our patients, rather than making them come to us. And that's why we have all these satellite clinics everywhere, a lot of neighboring towns, Perigold, mm-hmm. Wynn, Forest City, Osceola, Blavel. We feel that this is, first of all, the patients will feel more comfortable It's less demanding on them. Some of our patients are elderly, and they just can't drive all these distances. It kind of becomes personal. This becomes your town. Like if I go to Osceola, for example, and I feel like Osceola is my town. This is my place. I take care of this place. And, And it just becomes more personal, which goes a long, long way. Patients feel it. We feel it. And we know it works. Patients are more likely to come to their appointments. They're less likely to not follow up.
1: So I, I think I think this is working great to uh, kind of just help the community overall. Well, Dr. Ahmed, this can be personal or professional. You talked about one piece of advice that a professor left you. And I know you're also a husband, a father of two, if I remember correct. Correct, yes. Um, describe someone who's helped you become the cardiologist, the man, the family man you are today. And, and what's a good piece of advice they left you?
0: Well, um, one quote from Sir Isaac Newton, when he said, if I see further, is because I stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. And I have done that. And I have stood on the shoulders of many giants. And it will be hard to just single out one. But there was one, one statement, one piece of advice that just keeps coming back to me. And it came from the great Professor Jerry Luck in Penn State. One day I was working with him and and I was running around and there's a lot of work and a lot of things that needs to be done. And then he turns around, he says, you're working too hard. Hmm. And, And I just, I didn't understand what he meant because he's one of the hardest working people ever. And he said, yeah, you're working too hard. Take a minute, sit down and get to know your patient. Just know how their day is going. What grade their grandchildren are. What kind of dog they have. Stuff like that. And he said, if you know your patient, if you really know your patient, you're really going to help your patient. That just resonates with me. I try to, as much as possible, to sit down and just know something personal about my patients. Every single person who comes through my clinic or or the hospital, I want to know something about them, something that will help me kind of get close and personal and know them, and and they appreciate it, and and it's therapeutic. And I've I've seen this working time after
1: time, so that's kind of the one piece of advice that just... I try to go by all the time. You're making yourself vulnerable in, in, in these situations because these are your patients. As I said, there are often things beyond what healthcare providers can do, but rather than putting up those walls, you're tearing them down to connect because you think it makes you a better doctor. Yes, sir, that's that's uh, that's exactly it. I love that. Dr. Ahmed, we've talked about where we've been, where we are today. Well, using your predictive skills, I don't know how good yours are, <laughs> hopefully better than mine, <laughs> I'm going to ask a hypothetical, so there are no wrong answers here. Where do you see interventional cardiology going? I feel that
0: um, interventional cardiology is going to continue to progress. It's mind-blowing to think that the first balloon angioplasty, the first time we put a balloon in a coronary artery to open it up was in 1977. And since then... We have had bare metal stents, drug-eluting stents, second-generation drug-eluting stents. And then we had heart pumps. We had all these devices that we can use and all these just marvels of engineering. So I feel that we're up for the next level. I think we're going to go to the next level. And one thing that I'm a firm believer in, and we were just chatting about it right before we started the interview, is is personalized medicine. Because we're all made different. We all respond to things different. We respond to life different, and, and our cells respond to medications and devices different. And I think, a firm believer that in the future, in the next decade or two, we're going to have the ability to collect genetic data from each patient individually and use it to formulate how we're going to prevent disease and how we're going to treat the disease and problems and decide which medication will specifically work for this patient or that patient and which device is going to work for this patient or that patient. We're going to have the ability to simulate how their health is going to look 20 years later, if we start them on this medicine for diabetes versus that medicine. Proactive versus reactive medicine. Absolutely. That's where we are probably going to go. In the specifics, there are things that are very exciting coming out soon. For example, we're gonna probably have the ability to replace the microbiome completely with a, with a catheter uh, rather than you know surgical treatment, which is, I mean, still surgery is a great therapy, but, but there's some patients who just can't get surgery for a reason or another and that would be an amazing advancement. We have multiple new TAVR valves. We have two that are FDA approved in the U.S. right now, but there's multiple. It's getting better, it's getting safer, the the equipment is getting smaller, so that means that faster recovery time. Technology is just moving fast, and, and, and I think interventional cardiology is going to just go as fast as the technology goes, and we're... We're excited about it and we're waiting for the
1: new things that are going to come up in the next several years. I'm getting the, the vibe that it's kind of a, a marriage between the research and development side of this and, and as well as the implementation, the, the medicine side, what you do.
0: Correct. There are different things, biology, um, um, pharmacology, and engineering. The, these, these three things kind of get into what we use every day. Uh, in our in our cat lab. But again, of course, uh, the experience, they, uh, the, the knowledge and and the integrity of the teams that use all these devices is is also very, very important. Uh, so all these things work together, to provide the best care possible. Last question for you. What's your favorite thing
1: about being a cardiologist?
0: My favorite thing about being a cardiologist is being able to help out, as I said, from way before anything happens to when things happen, how can we fix them and how can we prevent things from happening in the future? And being able to manage all kind of problems within the vessels, within the heart itself, whether that's by just medications, whether by devices, or whether by changing the lifestyle. And I think the heart is just a fascinating organ system. Just fascinating. The way it works is, is unbelievable. So I love the fact that I work...
1: In something I have passion towards. That's kind of the best thing ever. Very cool, Doctor Ahmed, with Saint Bernard's Heart and Vascular. Doctor Ahmed, thank you for joining us on Health Wave. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. For more information about St. Bernard's Healthcare, you can visit their website, stbernards.info, Bernard's.info, that's S T B E R N A R D S dot I N F O, or you can call the St. Bernard's Health Line at 870 207 7300. And we thank each of you for joining us on Healthwave. If you haven't hit that subscribe button yet, we ask that you do so, just so that you can know anytime we post new content. If you're already a subscriber, we appreciate you making us a part of your day. And if the podcast service you're using lets you leave Healthwave a rating, we ask that you leave us a five-star review just so that other folks can find us more easily. And we also welcome your questions and suggested topics. Please submit those. I don't get them too often, so I would love to get those. And you could submit those through social media by searching for St. Bernard's Healthcare on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and sending us a direct message there. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Health Wave, and we hope you join us again on our next episode. For Health Wave, I'm Mitchell Nail. Thank you for tuning in.